Well, good morning. How are you doing today? It's good. How were you doing yesterday? Want to talk about it? Just kidding. Hey, uh, if you've ever considered missions or uh, going on a mission trip to increase your faith, we have a couple of new opportunities coming up. Uh, and there's an informational meeting today. If you want to look to your welcome sheet, you can find out more about that. <clears throat> well, we're in a series right now where we're closely examining this first book of Peter. It was written to a collection of believers or, or followers of Christ uh, in the province of, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so what's going to happen is this uh, letter to those churches is going to go on a little tour. It's going to go around, and, and the hope is, is that as they hear this public reading of this letter, it's going to help transform their life. They're going to come more and more in line with its teaching, its truth, and they're going to try to to live as the letter encourages them to live. And here's the cool thing, is that this letter is on display today at Calvary Church in West Lafayette, Indiana in 2019. It's crazy. And so, so far what we've discussed is Peter's assessment of the hope that we have in eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I actually want saved from a life of eternal uh, torment, uh, uh, from a life of punishment. And, uh, and so that's me, but God doesn't just want to save you to something, uh, from something. God wants to save you to something. Our salvation isn't just fire insurance for when we die, but that we actually become living examples of that salvation. We can actually live out our, our faith. And, and all of this first chapter, all of that we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks is kind of the, the foundational work. It's kind of the the thing by which we'll build our spiritual house on top of. And so last week, Daniel examined this, right? Be holy as I am holy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. See, uh, I've been a parent for about 13 years now. And here's what I've found out. Is in every stage, in every uh, bit of life, that, that there are, are challenges that are different than the previous stage of life. And I've been a student pastor long enough to know this. That continues. That just keeps on going. That each stage is different. And they never outgrow your need for guidance and instruction and your needs to, to point them on the, the right path. And parenting is, is crazy. My, my hope is that I'm just not messing them up too, too bad, right? But here's what I've observed. At every stage so far, I don't have to teach my kids how to be bad. I don't. I don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They already want their own way. I don't have to teach them how to, you, you need to guard your toys so that nobody else will play with them. Otherwise, it's free. I don't have to teach my kids how when someone says something hurtful to you, you simply just draw from within the bank and you say things too full back to them. I don't, I don't have to teach my kids that. But I do have to teach them how to obey. I have to teach them how to be respectful, how to share their things, how to let their desires down, and to look at others' needs as better than their own. And so that doesn't come natural, not for my kids anyway. And if we're honest, it doesn't come natural for any of us, right? You and I, we don't have to fight the urge to encourage our coworkers to go around and lift them up. But we have to resist the urge, however, to tear them apart, talk about their lazy tendencies, examine their work effort, and criticize their every move. While we want people to give us a hard pass on all our failures, which we have, we do. We want grace. But obedience and kindness, that's, that's not our natural position. 
So everyone is struggling with obedience. And if obedience is, is graded out, here, here's my hope. I'm just hoping for like a C average, all right? I don't want to get on the honor roll. I'm not hoping to wow anybody with my obedience. I'm simply hoping to pass the class. And I, I think here's what happens is I want good for my life. I want to be good. But a lot of times my behavior contradicts that. Peter throws this into the mix, right? He says, here's God's expectation. Be holy as I am holy. Serious? Like you want me to be perfect, blameless, holy, spotless? So let's all take a collective breath, if you will. Everybody breathe in. We're good. That's not what God is intending to communicate through Peter right now. So I do want to dive into our text uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, if you have whatever, uh, uh, we can dive in. First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 2, and we'll look closer at this holiness that I think Peter is calling us to. So First Peter chapter 2 says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. So Peter writes very similar to uh, the book of James in the Bible here, and what he's saying is this uh, evil, the moral filth that you have in your life, to get rid of it. And, and in the v- verses previous, he says this, it's a lot like a flower. A flower has a season by which it blossoms. It's beautiful to look at. And a lot of times, my kindness is a lot like that. My patience, it blossoms for a season, right? But then spring turns to summer, summer turns to fall, fall to winter, and it's bitter, and it's cold, and it's snowing outside, and they have to shovel the streets and throw out salt, and it's a hot mess, right? The grass withers, the flower's beauty is destroyed. So too is my patience, my ability to give grace and love others. It's, it's almost seasonal. But here's what Peter's saying. He, he, you need to clear your heart. You need to clear your heart. Get rid of all evil, the moral filth, the sin. And, and here's what I think Peter's driving at. If we are to live out our salvation... If we can actually live out our faith, putting Christ and his grace on display, if we are to be perfect, holy, live lives that are worshipful, then what we do reveals what we believe. And I've said it oftentimes this way, belief equals behavior. How I act comes out of the position of my heart. When my heart actually looks at others with eyes of love, then my actions will be more loving. When my heart is kind and I look at others' needs as better than my own, then my behavior will be kind. What we do reveals what we believe, and how we believe shapes how we behave. So when our hearts, thoughts, and actions are evil, we will see those behaviors in our life. And anywhere you look in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, God says, when you fall short, when you fail to match the glory or or worship me in a way that's holy, then, uh, meaning if you have moral filth, hypocrisy, or deceit, you need to get rid of that, right? The, the word there would be to repent. So what does that mean? It means to turn away from the evil behaviors, saying one thing but doing another. It means to turn towards the truth, pick up kindness, patience, and love, and place those things in, in our heart. So for me, I, I would say it this way. Repentance is the need to rethink how I think about everything. To rethink how I think about everything. And that's not my saying. I listen to Flatiron's uh, church for, for inspiration and encouragement for, for challenge in my life. And, and they've been speaking this truth uh, for a while now. And I'm grabbing hold of it. I get it. 
Because here's what happened. The church in general, in large, they say, you, sh- you just repent, all right? And here's what that means. You turn around. You were going this way towards your desires, but you simply go that way. And well, why didn't you go that way to begin with? Why didn't you just, because of your thought process, because of the condition of your heart, and what we dwell upon, what we think about is often what shapes our behavior. We do reveals what we believe, and how we believe shapes how we behave. So 1 Peter 2 says this, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of your salvation. We aren't just saved so that, you know, whenever we meet life in, we're, we're good, but there is a full experience of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. As we come into our salvation. As we come into this gift of being saved, here's what happens. is we realize that we need a Savior, and we confess and believe, we do what uh, Bryce just did, and we're building upon that belief. So we have this foundation. It's set with a belief that, that God is who he says he is, and we build on top of that. So I believe I need help. I can't rescue myself, and my behavior is to reach out to someone who can save me. And in the growth process, when, we, uh, when, you, when you give birth, then the child begins to drink milk, pure milk. No outside elements. They, they don't need anything else but the nutrients that comes from just pure milk. And, and right now in our student community, we're doing the, the sermon series that we did in, in here in July. It's the spiritual disciplines. All the steps that it kind of takes to help you mature in the, the growth process of your, your faith. And each Wednesday right now, I'm teaching a, a class in our teaching and equipping classes on how to read God's Word, how, how to study God's Word so that you might be able to apply it to your life, that you might be able to utilize it as a help. And those are the critical elements that you need to, to grow. It's the nourishment that your body craves. And here's what we all have to remember, all right? It's growth takes time. Growth takes time. If you're new to this, if you're just starting out, then you, your growth can occur, but it might take some time before you see true maturity in your life. But you need to begin to shift your beliefs, right? And for some of us, we've been doing this quite a long time, but the fact is, is that God and, and his, his uh, desire for us has grown stale in our life. So you need to rethink how you think about God. You need to repent and put new thoughts in your head that will seep into your heart. And what we do reveals what we believe, and how we believe shapes how we behave. And eventually, what is in our heart comes to the surface of our life. So my question is this. Would you change the process by which you live if you truly believed that God was in it? See, you are living stones. You are a living example that God wants to utilize to build his temple He wants your actions to be holy, just like he is holy. He is the cornerstone, the key element. He is perfect. And God wants us to be a part of his temple, his worship. So how we behave reflects that. It shows to what degree that we trust God with our decisions, right? 
It shows to, to what degree I actually believe that God is capable of doing what he says. And, and I still think that, that this is the rub that we have to deal with. We want to be good, or at least good enough. We wouldn't mind being perfect, but let's be honest, that's a long shot. That, that's not even probably possible. So what does it mean to be good? The Greek word there is dikaiosune. So what does it mean to live a dikaiosune, a good life? And how you can define that word good is, is you could say honorable. I want to honor God's intentions for my life. I want to, to live worthy of the calling that God has for me, the hope that he has for me. And so a lot of people seek after religion. Because what happens is, is in religion, you can find some rules and regulations by which you can live your life by that if you do these things in this way, that you can behave in such a way that other people will see you're good. You're good. And God says all of the good is actually reflective of our decisions that flow out of our heart. So crave pure spiritual milk. You have to crave God's word. You have to crave his truth. You have to place yourself under its authority. But what we do often is we supplement what God says with other outside sources. We go to our friends. We go to our, our work. And our work tells us, here's what you need to do to be good. We go to our, uh, you know, whatever it is. Uh, the last book we read, the last uh, conference that we went to, whatever says, this is how you become good. And if you have good stored up in your heart, Here's what happens. You will act out of that goodness. But religion says, do these rules, do these practices in this order, and if you do, you'll be good. But Jesus says, I tell you, let's see what is actually going on in your heart that overflowed out into your life that landed you in the place where you are. Religion says, don't murder, right? It's one of the commandments. It's number six. That's right. It's number six. It's a good one to remember. So we think, if I can just not murder anybody, then I'm good, right? But that is actually a low bar. That is like a low bar. Jesus would say, why do you have so much anger stored up in your heart? You lash out, you beat up, you are filthy with your mouth, you're angry. Why? It's how you think in certain situations that someone's wronged you. They cut you off in traffic, you're angry. They said something to you. They said something about you. You're mad. They should have. They would have. And what bubbles to the surface is not murder. You don't want to kill anyone, but you are murdering large parts of your life, large part of the people in your life with your anger. Your anger comes out of what is stored up in your heart. How you think impacts what we do. And we do, man. We yell, but we didn't murder. Man, we cuss others out. We have a filthy mouth, but we didn't kill anyone. But man, we're angry. And it reveals who we are. Reveals what's going on in our life. Religion says don't commit adultery. And so you're, you can be a good person if you simply obey that, that rule. But man, you have some lust going on. It's tied to your heart. It controls your thoughts. It's enticing you towards other sins. But you haven't actually done anything with that yet. You didn't commit adultery, so you're good. But Jesus would say, anyone who looks at a person and follows through in their head with the actions they want to do with their body, when you lust, you have already what? Committed adultery with them in your 
heart. Did you know that most sexual brokenness and frustration has less to do with sex and sexual desires as much as it has to do with questions of worth, power, and value? When I heard that from one of my favorite communicators in Pastor Jim Bergen, when he said that to me, that was crazy to think about. How I think about myself, how I think about my value changes how I behave. And so my actions come out of the belief of who I am. And God says, I made you. I shaped you. I love you. Your worth is precious to me. You are valuable, but you don't believe you are. Or somebody told you that you're not. And you know, one of the most hurtful things of how I see myself, of, of how I feel about myself, has shaped large portions of my life to this day was the belief that I was stupid, that I'm ignorant, that I'm dumb. And I had someone who I love and respect look up to that told me, hey, you're stupid. And guess what? I believe that. And it shaped who I was. It shaped how I behave. Still to this day, I have to fight those things inside my head, the thought process that you're stupid. Romans 12.1 says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you by the, into a new person by changing the way you think. Repentance. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Be holy. Be perfect as I am holy. So Peter tells us that God wants to utilize our life. God wants to, to use us in, in the actions of your body as part of his worship. And, and Romans would agree with that, what Romans just said there. And, and what we do with our body will take sacrifice from the way in which we probably want or desire our bodies to behave. We will have to lay those desires down. How? By transforming how you think. We're going to have to repent or rethink how you think about everything. And 1 Peter 2, verse 7 says this. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. I'll admit, that's a really weird verse. It's hard to understand. I typically have to read that like five times, go over it and over it. It's like... That's confusing. But here's, here's what he means. So last, you know, last couple of weeks, Daniel's been talking about our obedience. Peter would say, be holy as I am holy. And those words can slap us upside the face, right? You can look at Jesus and look at your life. You can look at Jesus and look at your life. And you can look at your anger, your lust, your debt, your poor attitude, your gossip, and think, I can never be like Jesus. I won't ever be perfect, so I just won't even try. You see, as soon as you change your thoughts to anything less than what God's thoughts are for you, you're defeated. You're already defeated. Your actions, your behaviors will follow those thoughts. And what we think about comes out of the position of our heart. So what if you truly believe that God was in it, that his grace was made powerful to purify you, to, to make you whole, that it covered your sin? Wouldn't that change how we behave? 1 Peter 2.8 says this, They stumble 
because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. We stumble because we do not believe that God can actually change our heart. And so God is saying this, you are the rock that I want to put into the midst of my life, but you think I could never be perfect like him, so I just won't even try. And his perfection actually makes you stumble and fall into disobedience. But he's perfect, and he has purified and perfected us. We meet the fate of our belief whenever we believe anything less than what God has for us. And it changes how we behave, changes how we live, changes what we do. It makes us stumble because it's not how God sees us. So think about this. God wants the condition of our heart to change, the way you think to change. And when you do, guess what? Your actions change with those thoughts and become more and more in line with the good that you desire for your life. God makes us perfect. God makes us holy. So religion gives you the opportunity to follow these rules, to follow these guidelines. And and there's been a long list of people who have been able to discipline themselves enough that they can actually be good. But really, a lot of times what happens is that rules simply point out how bad you are how off the mark you have been. And God says this, I want to redeem you. I want to call you towards grace and truth. I want to give you perfection. I want to make you holy. You say, I would love for my actions, my heart, my life to fall more and more with, with what God says is right, true, and best. And you might say that you want those behaviors, then you have to change how you think what you believe, because what we do reveals what we believe, and what we believe shapes our behaviors. So let's say this. Let's say I want to be a carpenter. I don't know. I could buy, a, you know, stuff that makes me look like a carpenter. I can buy a tool built, buy some tools, but I am no more a carpenter than I was before I bought all that stuff. I'm going to have to behave as a carpenter and build something. I have to get some materials and construct them together in order to behave as a carpenter behaves. So let's say I want to be a truck driver, right? I can buy a truck. But hey, I am no more a truck driver than I was before. I'm going to need to behave in such a way that people can look at what I do and it reveals how I live. It reveals who I am. And unless I'm on the road steering the the wheels of my big rig, I'm no more a truck driver than I am a baker, a banker, a boss, a builder, a believer, a follower of Christ. Because what I do, not what I say, not what I say I want to do reveals something about me. And and that's easy to understand, I think. I think if I behave as a carpenter, you can say that I'm a a carpenter. But what what if this is what I want to say? I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good mom or dad. Who, who gets to define that good? Who, who gets to clarify this is when you have achieved? You've arrived at good parenting. And not just how, how I do it. You, you can assume the role of parent if you have kids. You are now identified as a parent. But to be good at parenting. There are some things that you can do. There are some rules that you can follow. There are some simple guidelines that other people could look outside in and say you provide, you protect, you, you shape them towards what is true and right, you discipline, and, and you do all these things. You are good. But here's what it takes. It takes active thinking all the time. In the midst of seeing something that you deem to be wrong, 
to in that moment be able to correct what is right. It takes thinking and right action. And it's the same in our faith. You can say, I love Jesus. I want to do more work for him. I want to share what I know. But you aren't invested in Bible study. You're not plugged into a group. You've never considered serving. We put on an outfit. We come and sing some songs. We lift our hands and we hope people look at us and say, I bet they're good. I bet they're good. First Peter 2 would say this, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You see, once you had flaws, but now you are God's people. Once you deserve death, punishment, but now you're holy, perfect, blameless, spotless. You're his. So, what if you stop trying to be good and allow God to perfect you? What if you stop trying to measure up to the identity of everybody else that you want them to perceive you as and just let God work in your heart? What if you begin to seek him? What if you believe that God was for you and not against you? That God loves you right where you are? I bet the moral filth, the evil, the hypocrisy would go away. Because of what God says, that my power is made perfect in your weakness, in your failure. My power gets on display when my grace is sufficient for you. So, in all the stuff that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, everything Daniel has said and the last 25 minutes, what you've been thinking, what do you wish more than anything? Oh, you wish if that was true about me, man, that would change everything. What do you wish more than anything was true about you? And here's the other question. What's standing in the way of that for you? Because there, there is a reason. You just have to look at it. And obedience is hard. It's challenging. It takes effort and action. So what is it that you are thinking about God? What is it that you're thinking about yourself? And I imagine if you're like me, it goes something like this. I have some ideas about myself. I have ideas about my thoughts and my life, about where I want my life to go. I'm sure my, my thoughts aren't perfect. They're not right. They're not necessarily always best, but I know them pretty well. I've been around those thoughts for the last 41 years. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is how people perceive me. This is what my marriage is. This is how I parent. This is my family. This is what I deserve because of how I live. This is what people are like. This is what my job is like. This is what, what gets me through the day. It's this right here. This is what it's going to take to make me happy. It's this, and I'm holding on to these things. And I know what Jesus says, and it's different than this. But this is all I know. That's all I know. It's all I think about. And there are so many unknowns in that. And and he wants me to let go and to trust him. And it's going to take risk. And maybe the fear is, will you take care of me, God? This over here is a mess. Man, it's a mess. But at least I know what to expect in this mess. At least I know what's going on. But the way I've currently been operating, how I typically make decisions, the things that I think about and how I live are a direct reflection of the fears and thoughts that are going on in my heart. And I've never done that before. 
never been here before. So how do I know? How can I trust that God will show up for me, that you are who you say you are, that you can do everything that you've promised to do? And those are my fears. <laughs> those are my fears. And guess what? That makes me normal. It makes me pretty normal. So if those are your thoughts, join the club. Jesus, on the night that he was to face the cross, sweating drops of blood, he was scared out of his mind. He got up from that garden prayer and he was arrested. They nailed him to a cross and he died. And everyone thought, you hypocrite, you liar. You said you were God. You said, trust me. You said, follow me. And they placed him in a hole. And he was dead on Friday. He was dead on Saturday. And then Sunday, Sunday, he came back to life like he said he would. As evidence that everything I said before, I backed that up with what I just did on the cross. Everything I said about who I am and what I believe and how I can fulfill everything in you, I just backed that up by what I did. And if God can do that, I can trust him with my life. And you got to think that if he can back that promise up, you go ahead, you kill me. You bury me, but I'll come back to life. If someone can do that, if they can back up that promise, here's just my guideline. This is a rule for me. You don't have to necessarily do it. I put my faith in that person. Put my trust in them. And whatever fear you're holding on to, you have to believe. If he can come back to life, he can take care of you. He can take care of that fear. And here's the thing. What we do, it reveals what we believe in our heart. And you might be thinking, I am the only one who is feeling this. I'm the only one who thinks these thoughts. I'm the only one who acts in this way. And what if, what if you believe God was capable to redeem you right where you are? What if you believe that God could change your identity? He could bring you back to life. That would be good. That would be pleasing. That would be perfect as he is perfect. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a great and awesome God. I have to admit that in my weakness, in my brokenness, is how I often live. It's the projection of my heart. It's what I do. And Lord, you said in my weakness, you are strong. In my brokenness, you have redeemed me. And you place me into your worship as a living act of how you see me. Holy, pleasing, perfect. Lord, you are a good God. And we thank you for your son and and his act on the cross, his death, his resurrection is what redeems me and what makes me whole. Lord, we love you so much. And it's in his beautiful name, powerful name we pray. Amen.